people sitting in front of me, the man with the sun-damaged skin. The train trip across the southern Alps of New Zealand was billed as five solid hours of verdant alpine meadows, dotted with high-country sheep, interspersed with braided rivers descending from the glaciers. Yes, I did get occasional glimpses, but I was also challenged by the subtler beauty of heavy mist. When all else failed during periodic whiteouts, I entertained myself by staring at the head of the man sitting in front of me. It wasn't his baldness that captivated me. It was his sun-damaged skin. He was an elderly man, and his mottled scalp suggested a lifetime in the sun. I imagined him as a sheep farmer spending unwitting hours directly beneath the ragged hole in the ozone layer. His pinkish skin looked paper-thin and shiny, and salmon-colored splotches were strewn across his crown. I could see the crusty tip of an earlobe. This panorama created an intriguing coincidence with the book I had brought along to fill our idle travel hours. I had wanted a seminal book that had impacted our Western world, one that I had heard about but never read. My three candidates were The Bible, the works of Charles Darwin, and Hitler's Mein Kampf. I reasoned I could always leaf through a Gideon Bible at one of our hotels, and thought it might be a bit off-putting if I toted around a copy of Mein Kampf, so I settled on Darwin's classic. It turns out that humans' general lack of body hair created enormous problems for Darwin. In fact, the man sitting in front of me would have driven Darwin to distraction. The basic premise of survival of the fittest is that evolution produces only very small incremental and beneficial changes. Any maladaptive mutation would be ultimately weeded out, discarded on the mountainous ash heap of failed experiments. I imagine the 22-year-old Darwin standing in front of his mirror on his ship the Beagle, he notices that the skin of his face and neck are puce and pulsating from his day under the relentless equatorial sun. He realizes that he forgot his pith helmet in his enthusiasm over his iconic finches, whose perfectly adapted beaks were a deaf testament to natural selection. But now, as he looks at his peeling skin, he wonders, My hairlessness is definitely working against me here. After all, among terrestrial mammals, I'm the only one who's naked. What is the overriding functional advantage? As he speaks, a piece of skin flakes off and falls into the sink, leaving behind a vulnerable pink patch. Natural selection could explain a lot, but Darwin knew there were still many animal oddities that did not fit neatly into his paradigm, including not only human hairlessness, but also the peacock's unwieldy tail. Beautiful, yes, but with no obvious survival advantage. In a letter to the American botanist Asa Gray, he wrote, Every time I see a peacock's tail, it makes me sick. Unlike Darwin, who is curious about everything, I've taken the basic human body plan just too much for granted. Apes are hairy. I am not. To me, that's just been a fact of life. But Darwin was convinced that science could explain everything. And in 1871, 
12 years after he published The Origin of the Species, and 40 years after the voyage of the Beagle, he published The Descent of Man, his version of a theory of everything. Darwin felt that sexual selection could explain the animal oddities that were driving him crazy. It was all about mate choice, said Darwin, and at some point in our distant past, men and women found nudity more attractive than hair. He wrote, The view which seems to me the most probable is that man, or rather primarily women, became divested of hair for ornamental purposes. Darwin's theory met with a cool reception. In his Victorian age, men were reluctant to admit that inferior women were driving evolutions through their mate choice. The second obstacle was that the theory assumed that animals, such as the peacock, had an aesthetic sense. Shouldn't a sense of beauty be limited to the exalted status of civilized, fair-skinned humans with dominion over savages and the rest of the animal kingdom? His colleague Alfred Russell Wallace proposed an alternate view, basically an intelligent design theory. He wrote, The naked and sensitive skin, by necessitating clothing and houses, would lead to a more rapid development of man's inventive and constructive faculties, and by leading to a more refined feeling of personal modesty, may have influenced to a personal extent his moral natures. Essentially, Russell believed that some higher power had turned the negative of sun-sensitive skin into a positive downstream force for morality. The debate has continued ever since, with several proposed survival advantages to human hairlessness. For example, as humans moved from the cool forest to the open savannas, head-to-toe hair would have been pretty hot. Humans were also evolving into hunters, and hair could have slowed them down as they chased after game. Another theory proposes that bare-skinned humans could easily demonstrate they were not plagued with ticks, louses, or other parasites that would undermine their fitness as a mate. This theory has even spawned research into the genetics of body louses to determine when lice diverged into separate populations of head and pubic lice, an indirect estimate of when humans went hairless. As I sat on the train, I decided to put my faith in Darwin and ponder the ornamental appeal of the man in front of me. I narrowed my eyes to focus on a small patch of his head, and realized that I might have seen the same salmon-pink color combination and splotchy amoebic pattern on designer dresses. The sun briefly glinted, adding a moment of shimmer to the overall effect. I reimagined my dress with a bit of reflective material sewn in. Stunning! Yes, out of context, this sun-damaged skin did have an aesthetic appeal. A momentary gap in the mist interrupted my dreams of red carpet glamour. The man turned and looked out the window. I got a full frontal of his pocked face embellished with dangling scabs. His enlarged nose had the consistency of a puffy and cracked souffle. I found it impossible to believe that this ravaged skin would fit into Darwin's concept of aesthetic ornamentation. I only hoped that my man had abandoned his mate selection many years ago and was heading home to the weather-beaten face of his loyal wife. I closed my eyes and now imagined Darwin as an older man, perhaps 62, the age when The Descent of Man was finally published. 
There he is again, standing in front of the mirror, his hand running over his bald head and tracing his corrugated face. He is reminded that an elderly man must refresh his ornaments if he wants to satisfy a lusty libido. Darwin smiles as he straightens his tuxedo and reaches for his gold-tipped cane, confident that these symbols of wealth and respect will more than compensate for the unblemished face of his remote youth.